The next train to Tangent City departs in one minute. This is an unlimited service that may stop at reviews, spoilers, and swearing. Passengers traveling with young or conservative travel companions are reminded to read the show description before embarking on any journey to Tangent City. This podcast has been brought to you by the gentlemen of pop culture. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on in Perth, Western Australia. The Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation. We wish to acknowledge their continuing culture. And pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Lick my entire body for 10 minutes. <laughs> All the way over here. My head comes. Oh. Just made myself at home. Just took off my shoes as well. Oh, yeah. I, I did too. That's I took what... shoes and socks off. Do you want to move your house thing over towards the series? Yes, mine's like extravagantly long because somebody fixed them. (laughs) No, who did that? I don't know, some amazing person that's still mostly untangled. (laughs) It's it's pretty good. I've kept it. Are we going to need like a fortnightly appointment? Did you guys just hear that? Can I re- relieve all the knots in your... <laughs> Such a grunt. What did you do? I just went... I just took a sip and went... <sighs> Nothing wrong with that. So we were recording a podcast called Ear Avengers last night and one of the guys obviously thought that he was... Like, I mean, I've done it so many times where you're actually recording through the computer mic rather than through mm. the microphone, like, setup array thing. So he obviously muted on his, on his little... Um, uh, devicey, devicey thing. thing, and not on the actual computer. And so he did the whole thing of he was like sitting there drinking what was obviously like a drink that was encapsulated in ice cubes, oh. and it was just like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't even do it. It's like, what do you call that? That's why I asked you when you I walked through the door. I was wondering why. Why did you ask me that? Because question? I want to find a clip of that just to like you know put a bit of that shame out there. <laughs> Because it was hilarious. Oh dear! A clip of what? The, uh, the yeah, that slurping that sound. slurping sound. Yeah. What do you call the slurping sound of ice being drawn up, like a drink being drawn up through ice with a straw? Was the that, Germans it's... would have a name for that. <laughs> oh my god, they totally would. They would. They have all the words. Was that racist? Are we recording? No. Okay, good. Yeah, oh, of course we're recording. Because <laughs> I was going to say that's actually funny because they do. They have all of the names. I um. I like that though. Well, I was trying to explain the Reinhopskvarden, which is like oh the God. the just turn law. me on then. <laughs> wow, it doesn't take much. <laughs> but like that's like the 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 rule where the only thing that can go into beer in Germany is water, barley, and yeast. Mm. Is that correct? Have I got yeah? Water, barley, yeast. And so it's just like, they're the only things that can go into beer. You can't be flavoring them with crazy shit or anything like that. If you want to make beer, that's what you have to follow. Right. See, I do, I love that language has all of these things that just don't translate because I did have a conversation with um, a lovely Italian gentleman last week and I was trying to explain it to Arda uh, and he says, when I talk, it's like, uh, it." and then he said the Italian terminology which i cannot remember Hmm. he said it's basically means you're rubbing my heart or pinching my heart um yeah like i don't really know it's like i can't explain it and he couldn't explain it either like how that translates into english without sounding creepy (laughs) but you know I suppose when somebody talks to you and they touch your heart because you can tell that what they're saying is genuine and they're having a genuine conversation with you instead of like, I don't know, surfacey stuff. Mm. That's what he meant, but there's no, he can't figure out the translation in English for what he had in Italian and it may even be like Sicilian specific. So it's interesting because I think you can apply this to um, foreign films as well, Mm. you know, the translation being lost and, you know, some directors and filmmakers saying that, you know, having it subtitled in English, it loses its, um, I don't know the beauty of it. I think um, Mm. Parasite director may have mentioned something about that, how his film, um, you know, in in Korean, it's really good but then it doesn't translate as well um into english, into english which is mm. interesting so um language and 
and music and scores all kind of, you know, make a film just as much as the directors and the actors and, and mm. things like that as well. So yeah. they bring the feels. They bring the feels. They they can make, yeah, they do. I find that often when you're watching a film and it, it's the music that does get you in some some parts. It mm. sets the tone. Mm. It, it, it leads you to where you need to be led because I think that's what movies really are. It's it's a process and you get led through this process and I think that the director wants you to get to a certain point. Mm. I don't think it's like just a genuine like, see what Bloody you think. Bloody manipulative <laughs> bastards. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, they kind of um, – they, they want you to get to a point and so they, they lead you through this this process. And the music, like you said, it, it it's such an important part of that. I, I, I think music – I don't know whether I'd rate music or smells higher in terms mm. of like evoking memories. Yeah. Because and- <clears throat> I think they say that smell is the strongest, like you can smell something and, and it makes you think of, like I smell a particular bitter coffee, like especially at, you know, um, like when you go to BP or whatever and they mm. sell that coffee, it smells to me, it just reminds me of American roadhouses yeah. or like those kind of smells. Yeah. But there is something about music that um, I don't even know how to explain it. And a good soundtrack will do one of two things. It will be epic and you will remember it for the rest of your life, a.k.a. John Williams' scores um, for for many, many films, Uh, uh, Alan Silvestri for for Back to the Future, or their subtlety uh, is almost not noticeable and it gives you the emotion that that you're supposed to be having without being in your face. Mm. So it's the subtlety of it that helps tell the story. Yeah. And maybe that's the the difference is like sometimes you have like a – a composer that's like a character actor mm. that you don't actually realize it's them. But then you've got like those prominent ones like your John Williamson, like your um, Danny Elfman, where you hear a piece of music and you know it's them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, even that, I was not sure if John Williams did um, Superman as yeah. well, mm-hmm. but he did. And I, I, we tried to watch Superman the other day, the original one, uh, because Bryce has gotten out. Uh, the origin story of Superman from library. God bless the library for being back open, mm-hmm. I tell you. <laughs> um, and so he wanted to watch it, and but we started watching it and I'm like, oh, that music is so iconic. Unfortunately, he got bored because movies back then had a real big lead into the story. Mm, yeah. And so he just wants to see Superman. He doesn't want to see the big old lead up. Um <laughs> Oh, okay. Speaking of soundtracks. Yeah, I was going to say, soundtracks, um, <laughs> enter the dog. <laughs> well, I was like, enter the loud truck. Why is there a loud truck it's on this street? Not a truck, it was a plane. Oh, okay. Yeah, not used to them. <laughs> no. They're still flying. No, and where <laughs> I live, it's always a truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, but you're right. Like, I think that movies back then, but I, I honestly, and Lewis is probably going to kill me for it. Um, oh, he probably won't, but you know, it, yeah, it'd that, be pretty awful if he did. Yeah, it would be. Um, he's got Superman movies. Well. I find fucking tedious. <laughs> oh, I, I, I just saw the eyes just glimmer down a little they, bit. They just don't do it for me. Like the characters, there's so much with the characters, but you compare a Superman movie to what they did with Smallville. And I know it's like apples and oranges, but at least there was some. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but I find them frankly boring. <laughs> I'm gonna have all these burps in me because of the champagne, so I apologise in advance. Uh, just if like you hear some to the side, some random fine. bubblings. The, <laughs> the, the thing is with Superman movies is that they have still yet to like understand how to tell a Superman story, mm. which is really weird because they've been telling Superman stories in the comics for decades. 1938, yeah. right? Yeah, so it's, it's been he's been around for a very long time and and yet they can't translate him properly to the, the big screen. Although mm. I think I think that Henry Cavill could do a good job of it. It's just that they um they didn't Zack uh, Snyder really doesn't know how to use uh you know an actor like Henry Cavill. I mean, we we know he can act. We've seen mm. him in other things where he's been really Definitely, good. Definitely, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm glad they're bringing him back as Superman to give him another crack at it. So I feel like Superman is a hard hard one to sell because I feel like he's almost. I mean, 
he's got the power of invulnerability unless, you know, he comes into contact with kryptonite. So it feels like I think they've not developed his character. I think they've developed his story, mm, mm. but not his character, if that makes sense. You look at a character like um, Captain America and he's he's similar in the fact that you, he's um, – He's got the speed, the strength, and not really in vulnerability because he still does get hurt. Mm. Um, but they've both got like the heart of gold, you know, mm. sort of um, all-American sort of thing going on. But you can see with Captain America a a distinct journey and and also where he gets his darkness from because there is a little bit of darkness in him. Mm. He's gone through some stuff, and I think that's what's been lacking in the previous ones. They did try to show the darkness with Henry Cavill, but it came. It just didn't sell properly because it felt rushed. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's I, I'm I'm not a big fan of Superman. I I find him not a compelling um, superhero, but I think that's because it's not been done properly. Because, like you said, it's huge in the comic books, and it's mm. huge in the comic books for a good reason. So there must be some good stuff there that they're just not getting. Well, the thing is, is that the uh, the, the the character is so powerful that if he wanted to, he could take over the world, and no one can stop him. But the the point of it is, is that um, he comes and lives with these really good people in you know Kansas, and just uh, like they teach him morals and they teach him how to be a good person, and so he does the right thing because the right thing should be done, and that's where well they really haven't they they grasped that in Smallville, but they really haven't yet to grasp that in um in the, in the movies I think. But I think his goodness is inherent because you look at Kalel and and Lara, his parents, who clearly wanted to save their planet and well I don't know the full story mm. because I haven't read the comic books but um they're urging people to evacuate in that movie and they seem to know what's going on and want to do good so that goodness in him is inherent it's not just nurture but it's also nature so um his his impeccable goodness is I think what I I struggle to People want, he's too good. He's, he's too, too good. good. I think people want someone with complexities because mm. we all have complexities and no one is 100% good. And I think that's what they were trying to do with the Henry Cavill one, that he's struggling mm. with mm. these things that he's having to go through. But I just don't think it translated. No, it didn't. And it was almost like it was a little bit too purist. I don't know, like the the way that they entered into that darkness, it just it didn't wash for it me. Feel, it didn't feel authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And genuine. Not for that character and mm. not for the way that we are used to seeing that character. Mm. Mm. It's interesting though because the only – up to that point, the only real version we'd seen of Superman, like in the cinema, had been the the Christopher Reeve Superman. Because mm. in Superman Returns, uh, Brandon Routh was essentially playing the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that, this was the first time we saw a different kind of big screen version of Superman. That's why it was a bit weird, and uh, you know, it was very dark. And I didn't I- think it was that bad, though. I feel like it really got universally panned, and I just felt like it was – I could see where the criticism was coming from, but I just didn't think it was as bad as everyone was making it out to be. Mm. I, I think it it just wasn't handled as, as well as it could have been in different hands maybe, but I still thought it was a, a good story. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I still enjoy it. I still, I still enjoy those those DC films. It's just uh, they're just they're so dark. That's that's the the thing I found with them. But Batman always goes over. Yeah, well, like any of the movies with Batman seem to be okay. Mm, uh, what you don't like Justice League? Well, I was going to say because I actually quite enjoyed Justice League. I still haven't seen yeah. it. No, I was going to say I, I, I just want wanted to clarify on which Batman's you're talking about. Like mm. how far back are we going? Because Bat- uh, we're not going to talk about bat nipples. Right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Cleanies out of the conversation. Um, I like the bat nipples. I think this is a conversation we should be having. Excellent. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's get into it. What the frick is to like about George Clooney's bat nipples? <laughs> Do nipples on men enlarge as they grow with their body? This is a genuine question. <laughs> because my son said when I'm older I'll have bigger nipples. And I'm like, oh, I don't think nipples grow as much on boys as they do on women. Um, Lewis, do you want to take this one? 
everything kind of grows as you get older. Yeah. Like, and gravity intervenes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. So I am going to have to explain to my three-year-old son that he's eventually going to have saggy nipples. Well, it's a possibility. I mean, (laughs) I don't necessarily know if that's true for everyone. I think gravity affects people differently. And I know when um, guys go running, sometimes they actually get bleeding nipples. Oh, chafing nipples? they wear band-aids. Protect them nipples. Clever. Uh, Anyway, we'll move on from nipples. (laughs) Nipples. (laughs) Batman is one of the things... <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, it's a beautiful part of the body. It is, and we've all got them. <laughs> we all do. Of us. That's what it connects us. <laughs> Combines us. <laughs> so we're connected by our nipples, are we? <laughs> I, I just have this imagination of like two nipples coming and then meeting. <laughs> you know, I think phone home. You can't argue that we're all different because we are, you know, we are all different in a way, but we are also very similar in that we've, we all have nipples. So we've all got yeah. nipples, we've all got belly buttons, ears. Is well, I mean, some physical deformities that True, you know, may, but but we all do the aeroplane have those things, and that uh, that's the calming sound of a, a small aeroplane. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a little Cessna, <laughs> possibly Sounds going like back it's a to helicopter, a, like right over the top. I think it is hey? a helicopter, I think you've banged yeah, on no, the money yeah. there. <laughs> I realize the that was... is that what they people call them? The Dooka Dookas? Mm. Um, I, I tend to call it a helicopter, but okay, <laughs> chopper, <laughs> chopper. Some people, chopper. No, chopper to me is chopper reed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we had, did we have anything or were we just tangenting? Hang on a we're second. We're just tangenting we, our way. We, what are we oh, on? Oh, wow. Well, so I, I did try and steer the conversation you did, you did, yeah. very early on about the importance See, of you, soundtracks You and tried scores. to do what I desperately try to do so often. Um, it's just like, let's try and bring it on track. Uh, and then yeah. these two fuckers, because these are the ones <laughs> I'm going to blame every fucking time. They're like, yeah, 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 we'll get to that. But first, let's talk about George Clooney's nipples. Ah, uh, No, George Clooney's nipples was her. Superman um, breakdown was us. Yeah. And this is the thing with Tangent City, which you are listening to, by the way, with the lo- lovely uh, Catherine Lewis, Rachel and Cecilia, <laughs> Cat Lou, Rach and Cece. That's all of it. Shorten names. Um, but, yeah, that's what we do on Tangent City, if you haven't figured that out. We do. We that's tend to, to. to just tangent. Um, I mean, we can tangent all the way into superheroes or we can bring it back to the original um, thing that we were going to talk about, which was soundtracks. Well, yeah. How do we How do we, How do do we? we go here? <clears throat> Where do we go to from here? Where do we go well, from here? We're talking about composers and scores, When's right? The and yeah. the importance of that in film. So shall we just have a roundtable discussion on uh, a round table. certain composers and scores that we like? It's a rectangle. It's a rectangle. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you, you brought the literal Sorry. girls with you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, music and, and scores and composers have had a very influential um, part to play in films and I think they go a little bit unrecognised sometimes in terms of, um, you know, film. Well, I think that it's interesting because you've got the really predominant ones that have like a really signature sound and then you've got the ones that are like uh, described earlier they're like character actors mm. like you you enjoy what they put into that film but they don't necessarily have the same accolades would you say mm. because you don't necessarily know it's them because they produce something that's just so wonderful for that moment for that film that you enjoy it in the moment and then you let it go. The in- interesting thing as well about, uh, you know, scores in music or, or background music is that, um, you know, in the silent film era, it was, uh, you know, an important part of the, the film mm-hmm. was the uh, the music that accompanied it. But the, the music wasn't actually on the film. It was played to accompany the film. So you'd have an actual person in the theatre with a piano or, or a, a, an organ or another instrument playing to the film. So, mm. uh, But then when the silent era finished and they went into talkies, they kind of focused so much on the talking that they let the music side of things go. And so a lot of those early uh, talking films didn't actually have any score to go with them at wow. all. Really? I, I wonder, you know, when it was just the music, I wonder if the musicians went um, 
off script, I should say, mm. um, whether they played the music based on what they saw on the screen or whether they already had something. Um, I imagine they had like a guidelines to, to what to play, but I wonder mm. if they ever, because they sat there and watched it quite often, I wonder if they um, – Improvised, added a little, added a little bit, and went a bit jazzy, oh. and uh, just went off the cuff. But you, you, on the odd occasion, you'd never know because everyone was operating mm. in such isolation that you would never know. You were just there to experience like that particular performance in that moment. That's pretty Although, cool. Although there are some people who would have seen m- movies many, many times because uh, uh, back in the day they used to be at the cinemas for uh, quite a lot mm. longer. I feel mm. because there was less to to see. I think. Yeah, yeah no, no, you're yeah. spot on. I don't know. Well, I think they used to have, uh, like, back in the day, they were, you'd pay to go and see, like, a, a bunch of stuff. So there'd be, like, a little animated short and then there'd be a news, the news reel. Yeah. And then there'd be, like, a serial, like, uh, you know, uh, The Lone Ranger or mm. Batman or, you know, some sort of serial. And then they'd have the feature film. So, and then they'd just play, like, a loop. And people would just stay there all day and just keep watching and watching mm, and stuff. Gosh. So yeah, yeah, it was a, a very, very different time. A very different time. So I rewatched uh, "There Will Be Blood" recently. It's oh. one of my all-time favorite movies, and okay. it's epically acted. And the music is something that plays a very key part in this film. And when the director Thomas Anderson requested Johnny Greenwood from from Radiohead to to come on this journey with him. He was really nervous because it was, I believe, his first time making a soundtrack and he was like, how can I – I mean, Thomas Anderson at the time and still now is a really massive director and his films are very, very interesting. And then you've got Daniel Day-Lewis, you've got all the heavy hitters and he was genuinely nervous. And at some point, Thomas Anderson would have had to say um, to him – uh, so the first 25 minutes, it's just music and no talking. What a daunting aspect. And so as a result, that music really has to set the tone for the entire film. Mm. And it's such, I, I freaking love that film on so many levels. And yet the music is really part of that story. And it, it's like sinister and haunting and suspenseful and it really just gives you like how scary that time would have been discovering oil and uh, yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's full on I freaking love that movie I I really like that film as well and I think I watched this film in two parts it's quite a long film um, yeah, but I think yeah that that first 25 minutes does take it out of you because even though there's no talking it it's it's hard to kind of get through, isn't it, just to watch something for, for that long with no dialogue? Well, I suppose it depends. Like the first time I felt like I didn't feel the time passing mm. because I got so into the movie and I think I've – the second – like I've – the recent time, I don't know how many times I've watched it, but most recently I was aware of uh, the time passing and the music but only because I specifically decided to – become aware of it yeah mm. and I think that's that's the point here is that I've seen it twice now I own the film I've only seen it twice but the, on the second viewing I made such a point to enjoy the first 25 minutes for what it was and mm. to pay attention to things more instead of the first time it was like oh when is this gonna start it yeah was very when are they much, gonna it was yeah, yeah whereas the second time I was like hey let's just sit back focus on what's happening enjoy that sound like that sound and everything so I think that yeah for those kinds of films sometimes it's the second watch that makes it better and how it builds to mm. to to what's about to happen as exactly. well. Exactly. Yep. I love that movie. <laughs> and um, it is while, a great film. while we're talking about other movies I like, I'm sorry, I have to do it. Do it. The assassination of Jesse James. Yeah, I was going to say we're going to go down the western track. Mm, I, I can't help it. That Nick Cave soundtrack is. I'm not going to talk about it much because uh, if you've listened to a lot of our shows, you know I'm obsessed with the soundtrack and the movie. So I'm just going to leave it there. If you haven't listened to the soundtrack or watched the movie, understand that it is. it can be a slow movie. The cinematography is just watch it as the piece of art that it was made to be mm. and the music is just so brilliant and that is all I'm going to say because everyone who's listened 
knows. This like <laughs> Everyone knows the deal. Times. Oh, see, so. I see. I watched that film the first time based on your recommendation. So did I had, you enjoy I, it? I loved it. I loved the film because it's not for everyone. No, I understand that it's not for everyone because it is slow. Um, it is very much about character building. There's a lot of times where it's there's not much talking going mm. on, and that's where the soundtrack does start to tell the story for you. Um, yeah. Phenomenal filmmaking. I'm, I'm. I just can't help myself. I love that movie. Interesting. So much. I actually have a segue into into another a composer based, on, based on that. So obviously that film stars Casey Affleck, who mm. is in a film called A Ghost Story, which I think I've spoken about so many times. But yeah. um, this film has this soundtrack. Oh, it's composed by um, Daniel Hart, who is quite a young composer. Mm. Um, and that film for me was hard to watch, but it was the 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 um, score that made it so much more um, beautiful and haunting in a way. But Daniel Hart also did Pete's Dragon. Um, oh. And, you know, he's done a lot of diverse – he's very, very young and he's done a lot of different things. So I think that uh, it just goes to show you can move from one piece, um, like a ghost story, onto like Pete's Dragon, which is, a, you know, a which, fun kids film. A ghost story was such yeah. a, um, a an emotional kind yeah, of movie, very wasn't philosophical, it? kind of existential mm. look at, um, I don't know, life and death, I suppose. I think you can draw so many different meanings from that film, but the score for me, I, I immediately went from this film straight to the score mm. and I listened to it a hundred times. But I think Daniel Hart is one of those um, composers who is really up and coming and I think he will do a lot of great things. Um, so I think, yeah, for, for me, um, that was a very influential um, that's kind of the first time I really thought how, you know, scores do make a real difference in film. I really need to get around to seeing this movie. The more you talk about it, the more you, I think it's really something up my alley. <laughs> I think it at, is. At the, <laughs> at the time of recording, it's the 14th of June. It's currently on SBS On Demand. So oh, nice. go home and watch it. I just did the research and I thought, hmm, I know where I've seen that before. So, yeah, I'll have to <laughs> nice. watch that. And I do enjoy Casey As. Affleck, even though he is Burko. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny as well when you go through and you see who has who has done the composing for like a series or whatever. So one of the things that we've watched recently is The Great. Mm. And it was really interesting to see that because The Great is – it's funny. It's very dark though. Mm. There's some dark undertones, and you've got uh, these the beautiful. Eyeball, the, the pulling the eyeballs out of the dead skulls. Yeah, that's that's a bit dark. Yeah, that kind of I've seen all See, yeah. kinds of crazy, and that crossed a line for me. I'm saying like that's saying something coming from me. Mm. It was pretty fun. <laughs> it was. It was the way that it was done in such a like, oh god, we just all got to go along mm. with it kind of way. Mm-hmm. Watch I believe it, the people. terminology you're looking is or for is. Fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. I, I kind of yeah. resonated so much but with Elle Fanning at that point. You, that, but the look on her face uh, was how I felt. <laughs> it, was, it was. It was. It was fucked up. But um, it was quite interesting to see that the guy who did the composing for the series, Nathan Barr, he'd done things like Cabin Fever and mm. Shutter and True Blood and Flatliners and and. Just like whole lot of fucked up crap, <laughs> like um the hunt and um the turning and you, and you sort of look at it and you're just like going because when you see I mean it kind of looks like Marie Antoinette you're know, like you know the um the Sofia Coppola and it looks really light and bright and a light hearted look but I mean that had some dark undertones yeah, as well yeah and an equally awesome soundtrack with oh, some amazing yeah. scores and composing too yeah mm. the the soundtrack there was brilliant. Oh, I hadn't thought of that one. Oh, there's a tangent that we can go down. I think in a it's because there's like it's not one one composer or score. There's a quite a mixture in that. Well, oh, I guess I it's think, got yeah, it? it's got yeah. it's got that sort of that pop element yep. to it. But um, I think that with the great, it had that that score that sort of went that sat under it, and I think that that's probably more. It's that subtlety that you get, but. Obviously, he was able to bring that horror to it from his experience and working on all those other movies. I, I was fascinated by that. Um, one of the other things that we had a look at when we were researching this was the complete lack of fucking diversity. <laughs> like, yeah. Just to put it frankly, hmm. like the just lack like all of women, of Hollywood. <laughs> the lack of 
anything other than like old white people, yeah. old men white men specifically. Sorry, but yeah. mind you, think you think about it is like um, people who study music and like get into the becoming composers and um, you know conductors and stuff like that. How often have you ever seen like anyone other than an old white dude you know, doing the conducting and stuff like that? Mm. So it has really been that that area that field that has been predominantly uh, old white guys or who were originally young white guys who just stayed in it for a very long time. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely is one of those places where you need to start maybe seeing a bit of diversity and then maybe we'll see some you know different uh, sounds coming through the music. I mean, there was... Um, the guy, what, what's the guy's name who was doing the uh, the sound, the music for The Mandalorian? Uh, that would be someone whose name I've Starts just with forgotten. An L <laughs> and his Ludwig, with a G. Ludwig something. I can't remember what his surname is. Yeah, so his name's Ludwig, and so obviously he had to be a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, had, yeah, had, it was like a given. Yeah, Maybe no he changed choice. his name to Ludwig. Yeah, no choice. But I kind of like the way that he came into it. So he started working with. Um, with Donald Glover when he started doing Childish Gambino and started working with him on that. So um, the the stuff that he's worked on over time is just as fascinating as his music is in The Mandalorian because that, that soundtrack – you've watched The Mandalorian. Uh, I still haven't got to it. I have watched oh, the no. first episode. But um, his name is uh, Ludwig Goranson. Goranson, so thank is, you. Is he um, African-American? Is no, no, he, no, what's no. his background? He's, he's a – He's, he's a white guy. Um, like, well, he's. I, I'm guessing he's got some sort of like Scandinavian kind of blood in there somewhere. You gotta love those Scandies. Yeah. Um. So uh, he's just like he. He did the composing for Black Panther. Oh. Um. He's just done like a huge. Um. He did the Creed movie, so Creed and Creed Two. He he's he's modern, but there's something very. Um. I don't know how you describe it, like almost not folksy, but I want to say like tribal, but I don't know whether that's the right term for I, the I music. I know what you mean because um, he is a Swedish composer and a lot of the Nordic uh, music has I think he's some like pretty elements. American at this juncture. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's a Swedish. He's a Swedish composer, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> he seemed very American, though, when we saw him. Yeah. His work includes Fruitvale Station, uh, which is a fantastic movie about, um, you know, the inequality that exists in America. But anyway, yeah, mm. it's it's. I think it's hard to get diversity when it starts from the bottom up. Mm. So those white guys are getting those scholarships and getting those um, – that education because financially they can afford mm. it um, and, it, it, you know, they get put into particular schools because of what area they live in and it, it starts from the bottom and goes mm. it goes all the way to the top. <laughs> yeah, but does it because, like, I mean, this guy was pretty much, from what I understand, it was through his work with, um, with mm. Donald Glover that he actually – it was like literally through the stuff with Childish Gambino that he started to get some opportunities to come through. So it was like a black dude who gave him the opportunity. Mm. So I don't know. I, I, without getting into that stuff, like I just think it's fascinating that someone who got to do some stuff on Community mm. <laughs> and um and Magic Mike that he got to like just work his way through and he's doing something as big as the Mandalorian and just doing a top-notch job. It's it is funny the things that people have made in the past. Mm. Um I think about Alan Silvestri and how he um his Back to the Future future uh soundtrack is so pivotal in my childhood and then moving on he's done a lot of the Marvel cinema um as well, you know, um, mm-hmm. Captain America and so forth. And the first thing he scored was the Doberman Gang back in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was flipping through and he's also done Bridesmaids um, oh, cool. and uh, The Babysitter, I think. So The Babysitter I don't think is a, an amazing film. Bridesmaids <laughs> is. Uh, but you can see how different they are to the soundtrack that he has brought to the Marvel Cinema Universe because it just – there's something about that music that as soon as you feel it and it's the same with Back to the Future, it could almost 
give you tingles because it just gives you all the feels, especially when you've watched the films multiple times, it, you just are in the world immediately. Mm. It's that immersion. Mm. Whereas That's... I'm sure with the sitter and and bridesmaids, it was more of a, a subtlety that he brought to the film yeah. as opposed to being part of the film. Because he, yeah. he did several Marvel films. He started off with uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Then he did the Avengers. Uh, then he did Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. So he's got that iconic Avengers music that we all know mm. if you're, I mean, a Marvel fan. It just makes you, you, your blood run. It's good stuff. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. I like it. Interesting he didn't do Age of Ultron, though. Huh. Yeah, well, that's because that's a shit movie. No. Oh, come on. Jane Spade is the bomb. Oh, see, I've only watched it once. It was enough for me, but I think I need to go back and watch it because I have that and Iron Man 2 that I hold and Hulk as well. Because, you know, Ed Norton, he's really great, but he's not a. It's not, not really. we'll just ignore it. Um, but yeah, it's. um. I have to go back and rewatch them. I, I'm going to have to. I was thinking about it the other day. How do I break it to Bryce? that our current Iron Man is dead. Duh, just leave it. Just leave that one lying. It's <laughs> a conversation for another day. Because he, he wants Skim to... 10 years. He wants to watch um, the new Spider-Man film with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal where yeah. Iron Man is Homecoming. already gone. And I can't do that without oh. explaining that Iron Man died. I don't so, know because how Can you just say he's now? on a holiday? Can you say he's on a holiday? <laughs> For now. So, it's pretty obvious in that movie that he's gone, gone. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm going to wait until he's about um, six or seven maybe. Not I don't know. And then start violence. from the first. I know that. I know. I don't know. I just want him to be in it with me. Yeah, I know. <sighs> so, I mean, I can show him Ant-Man and we watched Captain America the other day and I know there's some violence but it's uh, – yeah. um, How do you explain – sorry, Ant-Man, how do you explain the, the lamb that gets, like, turned into goop? Uh, I didn't because it's not uh, – <laughs> He's like glossed over it. He's well. You, if you watch a lot of kids' movies where there's like villains and stuff like that, yeah, all of those random things sort of happen. Okay, in a in an animated sense, so it's less in your face. But um, uh, he kind of understands the the villain versus good guy scenario. It comes up a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I'm that parent who has got his child into those kind of things but i can't help it it's everywhere it's <laughs> prolific we can't watch bluey 24 7 as much as we would freaking love to <laughs> have you guys watched bluey no, no but i know that it's uh, quite a it's so it's good quite a good tv show for uh, australian culture y'all are gonna have to watch an y'all. episode mm. after we've done this i'm gonna force you to sit through 10 minutes <sighs> of a bluey episode so you can understand the genius anyway soundtracks Oh, oh, Siri's oh. talking. <laughs> Siri, um, so she said that's beyond my abilities at the moment. Isn't everything beyond Siri's it abilities? Absolutely, yeah. She's useless. I don't I'm have sorry. a connection to the internet right now. <laughs> she never bloody So who, who would, like, if you had to choose one one composer of soundtracks uh, that would be your favourite, who would you choose? Because oh. I've, like, I think Danny Elfman would have to be mine because, um, uh, you know, he's um, just... I just like the uh, the 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 tone or the mm. the way he produces music, and it's got a very particular Danny Elfman kind of sound to it. Uh, and he brought life to uh, Batman in the uh, 1989's uh, Batman, and it was such amazing music that actually carried over into the Batman the animated series. Um, so yeah, he's great. He's he's worked a lot with. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I went to look at something and I press play because I'm yeah. like, oh, Danny Elfman had some music in the Avengers. Which one? Yeah. Um, he's worked a lot with yeah, um, Tim sorry. Tim Burton, and I enjoy Tim Burton's films. Mm. Um, and uh, he he was in the uh, the band Oingo Boingo, and yeah. uh, I just like the name of that band. That's an interesting name, Fair isn't call. it? it? Sounds like a something else. Oingo Bongo. <laughs> Oingo Bongo. Sounds like something else. But anyway, <laughs> hey, he did the music for Fifty Shades of Grey as hey. well. Oh there really? Wow. Mm. See this. This is the thing. There are time. It's not often, but occasionally he does something that does not sound like Danny Elfman, and I get surprised that it's him. Mm. But the majority of the time, his music is really like he did um, Chicago. He did some of the music in oh, the yeah. film Chicago, right. and sometimes you listen and you're like, "That's definitely Danny Elfman," and that's ninety percent of the time. But occasionally, you hear something and it's like, "Oh, that's really who? Who's that?" And you get a bit of a surprise. Um, 
I think, I mean, I've got a couple of favourites. That's really hard. I love Thomas Newman who's done, um, yeah, brain, <laughs> not working. Anyway, I love Alexander Duplat who's done, um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so move on while I get some information in front of me. All right, um, you do that. Um, you- I, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by um, the ones that you don't necessarily know. So, I mean, I'm like you. I really love what Danny Elfman does. I think it's amazing. I think what um, John Williams does, I think that that's absolutely fantastic. But I like like discovering that, you know, there was James Horner and he did stuff for like Titanic and Braveheart and Legends of the Fall and Avatar and, and, and Willow, for goodness sake, and Aliens. And so you, you kind of go back and you look through some of the filmographies of these people um, and you think, wow, this guy's done like just such a diverse role of stuff. Um, role? I don't know. A, a, he's got like a huge um, just – different kind of stuff as opposed mm. to just doing the same stuff over and over and over again. Yeah, I love John Williams, but there is a certain um, overarching theme to his music mm. which is really quite in your face. Do you find it's a little bit egotistical that he has it to does... put his signature on everything? Oh, well, I don't think it's – I didn't think of that, but I just thought his music is very in your face and you always know. Mm. Um, but, I mean – I still, I mean, you can't argue with the soundtracks he's done. They oh, no, no, no. are part of our childhood and amazing. But yeah. like you said, there are other people that um, that are so diverse and have done so many different things that it feels like they've got maybe a little bit more uh, diversity. Yeah. And that's the word I've just mentioned twice in one sentence. But anyway, <laughs> um, so Thomas Newman has done the likes of 1917, American Beauty, which is when I first ah. I first got into Thomas yeah. Newman, um, the, the Green Mile, uh, the recent Tonkin film, uh, Finding Nemo, Wally, and he's also done Road to Perdition, which is one of the best soundtracks Ever. The score to Wally was actually really lovely. And so something... important because there's not much talking. No. So, yeah. Um, I think that really probably for me, like, learning that learning about them is probably, like, the b- best thing. Mm. Like, just, like, going, oh, so this is this person. So I'm going to, like, go down, like, a little rabbit hole there. Like, learning about Ludwig Göransson. It's just <laughs> stop pressing play. I didn't move it. Uh, mute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, learning about him and just the passion that he brought, um, particularly to the Mandalorian, but the uh, the fun, the joy that he gets from his job. Like, what a fascinating world that he lives in. I, it's I, not I kind work of, if you enjoy it, is it? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. And so, what a wonderful position to find yourself in. Obviously oodles of talent so that probably <laughs> that probably helps it helps but if i was to find a particular favorite it'd be really hard for me to do mm. but um i think that scores are really really important and when they're done really really well it's it doesn't matter well it does matter who did it but to me it's just one of those things it's that you, it's the... something else to discover with film. Mm. I think it's really uh, highlighted in horror films the importance of score. Yes. I'm sorry to circle to build that the horror film, but no, I had no. to um, briefly mention. But um, for example, you've got like Psycho. Yes. Um, you know that real stringy. Um, and I think it was Bernard Herrmann who did Psycho. I can't be a hundred percent certain there. I shall research. Um, research and another film, I think, and I think I said earlier that the first time I really paid attention was when I seen a ghost story. But I actually like was it would have been when I watched The Omen for the first time and the soundtrack <laughs> oh. to that, which was done yeah. by Jerry Goldsmith. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's really important in horror, uh, particularly, and I think you can use it two ways: um, very subtle and not so subtle. Oh, so, like your Jaws theme, exactly, <laughs> and that's a classic example of John a, Williams a, one uh-huh. in your face as well. But um, that memorable. I think the other thing we probably haven't really got around to is female composers, mm. um, which we we're talking off air about this. And yeah. um, you're correct yeah. on Ber- Bernard Herman, Herman, by the way. Perfect. Cool. Um, and. 
before we move on to the amazing uh, females that we we do have, the the other one I was mentioning before was um, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but Alexander Duplat, mm. I think is his name, um, and he's done the likes of Imitation Game, which is probably mm. one of my favourite soundtracks. Again, um, the the Shape of Water, extremely loud and ex- incredibly close. Um, Harry Potter, he's done some of them. The Danish Girl, uh, Little Women. I mean, the list goes on, and I know that when I've enjoyed a soundtrack. I do often find that it's him. Oh, the King's Speech, of course, as well. So he's, yeah, another one I I really, really enjoy. But we were talking off air about um, uh, Hilda. Come uh, on, you can do it. You got this. Guantadir. Hilda Guantadir. Guantadir. Who's Icelandic. I'm good Um, at memorizing things. I, I, what I did is I wrote it down um, in uh, phonically. Is that the No. Phonetically? Phonetically, that's the yeah. word. So, like, um, Hilda Gudnardetir is how they say Beautiful. it on, yeah, that's the phonetic. On and then slate, she went slate. and, and, she went and uh, pronounced it a different way. And it was like, oh, just colouring it up with your Icelandic. <laughs> um, I think she knows how to say her own name. <laughs> I'm just guessing. <laughs> I that love, was subtle. <laughs> I love how she like whispered it instead of just. I don't know if the mic's picked up. I, had, yeah, it did. I had to do a bathroom visit when we were recording with an international crew last night. And so I'm just like, you freaking leave those th- microphones on mute unless it's really important. <laughs> so I didn't want them to hear me going to the bathroom. Dang potty. Um, so there is a story. She She's just recently won the Oscar for Best Composer for yeah. Joker. Uh, and. There's a particular scene, and I don't know the full history of it because um, I've listened to this on a podcast, so this is secondhand information, so I'll probably mess it up a little bit. But there is a scene where he dances, and instead of just dancing to nothing, they actually played her composition to him while he was dancing, and Uh, that is what he danced to. So, um, and I don't know if it's when he's going down the stairs or, no, that's Gary Glitter, or in the bathroom. I think it may be the bathroom scene, but I- I'm yet to see the movie, so I can't be specific oh, you're kidding on that. Me. Have you not seen it yet? No. Where is oh, it? Oh, but a- you need to, you need to, yeah, we'll sort you out. I, I like but you need to probably free. have some time, like, in, like, a non-disturbed environment. Like, you just need to focus on it. Mm. It's so... It's so soundtrack heavy, and Lewis might correct me here, but for me, it's so reliant on the soundtrack that you just need to, like, fall into it. Mm. And, I mean, Lewis is is right. It's not necessarily a Joker movie Mm. in the traditional sense, but it is a fantastic movie. It really is. But you need to give yourself the space to actually watch it and really just fall into it because it's just, yeah soundtrack heavy it's it's beautiful the joker ah uh, yes of course yeah. yep absolutely wonderful. is it the joker or joker oh it's just called joker it's sorry just joker. yeah i think the only reason i mentioned that is because i was typing the joker into imdb and i'm like where is it <laughs> and then i found it under joker it was like so has she done anything else that we might uh, I recognize should've, i should have looked into that well, while you do that so one of the things i was looking at is to actually look for some female composers and to look at the movies that they've been involved with. Um, and Rachel Portman was one of the ones that came up for me. And uh, one of few, just for the record. Um, but you got Emma. Um, she was involved with Chocolat. Um, Cider House Rules. Um, you remember the Natalie Portman movie, The Duchess? Mm. She was involved with that. Never Let Me Go, which oh, we'll never talk about ever again. <sighs> Um, even back to Marvin's Room and, mm. and, and some older titles as well. So I thought that that was really interesting that even though the, the – and that's where I got to that whole thing of like sometimes these composers are like character actors. Like yeah. they do such a wonderful job in setting the scene and guiding you through the process, but you don't necessarily know their names and I feel a little bit bad for that. Yeah. I think the one really good example is that – 
in moments where you cry in films, this mm. real sentimental moments. For me, it's when you really think about it, it's the music that does it because you it can just have pushes you over the you edge. You can have two people talking about something really heartbreaking and sad, but then that music kicks in, and that's what always gets me going. And yeah. I think we really don't um, acknowledge the the power of um, composing and, and scores enough to trigger those emotions. And we've been listening to music since we were in the embryo. Mm. Or not in the Ambro, in the in the in uterus. Utero. Yeah. <laughs> in the if you're in the uh, embryo, yeah, you're I don't probably, think you've got the ability to some be kind cognizant. Of, of... I, I think you're some kind of um, twin that is being born into. Like, what the frack? Yeah. So no, if you're an embryo and then you've got an em- you've got you're an embryo in an embryo and then one embryo grows and the other one kind of grows. A parasitic twin, that's what it's ah, called. Ah, parasitic twin. That well, sounds that like a horror film. That is probably tangent of the year right there because <laughs> what the frick? That sounds like a horror film. Uh, well, I mean, there, there has been horror films and X-Files episodes where they have had the parasitic twin uh, as part of the story. Oh, Ooh. I'm sure. There were episodes of House that had that as well. I mean, for God's <laughs> sake. Um, going uh, but, to TV, though, hmm. I think that the one really strong lesson for me was during Buffy, um, the episode called, I think it was called The Gentleman. Hush. Oh, Hush. Hush. Is it the, Sorry. Yeah, yeah the, the Gentleman, gentleman. yeah, was the character. Damn it. That is actually, I watch a lot of horror films and things and that scares the yeah. daylights out of me, that yeah. episode. There's something super I've creepy it about once. it. I've seen it once. I can't watch it. And the silence. Oh, God. I'm like, getting the, the shivers just the, I know. the violin sorry. going, it's like, oh, oh. Mm. Well, violins are scary. They are. They are frightening. Es- especially when people are just <laughs> learning. Oh. <laughs> well scary. I think we underplay the power of the violin in most scores. I freaking love the violin, I, man. So do I. And oh, harp, see, and harp. I'm all about I'm all about the brass section. Ooh. Oh no, I like the piano and the violin. I the like piano the string gets me. instruments. Mm. Yeah, they do the subtle stuff. Mm. Um, I just like that. But I feel like they're the most powerful string in like the harp. Oh harp. Ooh. Oh yeah. Oh dude, so um Hilda. Guten Tag. Um, oh my no. god, you too. Hilda I haven't seen her. I said that off the cuff. I need to. If I see the name, Good I can Tier or something Good like that. Okay, so she's done uh, the miniseries Chernobyl, which I've watched. Ah, uh, yeah, I still haven't watched oh, that. It's full on. Yeah. Handmaiden's Tale. She oh. she did six episodes. Uh, the Revenant, which is an amazing film, um, and. Yeah, so they they they're some of the ones that she's recently done, but she did a lot of TV series as well. Um, and then she's got Sicario, Day of oh, the yeah. Soldano, actually Mary a- Magdalene. I watched that movie. Yeah, it was. Have you like- seen the, the first one? As well, I know. I think I only saw the second one. Oh, the first one is so good. You have to see it. It's freaking amazing. So yeah, she's definitely done. Benicio del Toro. (gasps) Yes, love that. I feel like he should be just in more films. (laughs) He should be in all the films. (laughs) Like he's just so good. Yeah, because he's like he's got one of those faces where like you just like he 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 just expresses things so well. But in the first one, he's like, I'm going to kill everyone. Like that's just. Like in the first Sicario, like he's literally like, I'm going to get revenge. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how he speaks. But <laughs> So I'll just show you one of Hilda's films. Oh, yes. Uh, the Mercy. One um, of the best films. Rachel and I absolutely mm. adored the film, The but Mercy. It's, um, it says that she's in charge of uh, solo cello and vocals. Ooh. So not necessarily as a okay, composer. right. But so you can see where she's come from and also celloist in the music for The Arrival. So she's she's done solo stuff, vocal stuff, and then moved on to being a composer. So she was a celloist. Hmm. I think it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating that it's just so, like, you've got so much that they, they obviously build themselves up to that point where they become a composer mm. in their own right. But how they're discovered as well, I think it's really interesting. I've, I've got a question about a particular film. Uh, the Quiet Place. Ah. Does that actually have a score at all, or is it just silent through the whole film? I'm almost. I've seen this back when it first came out. I'm no. I'm almost certain there's a score mm-hmm. in play. Um, from memory, it's back in 2017. Be. I think I've seen this film. Um, 
Yeah, I'm 90% sure there is because there's tension that builds, um, particularly when there's that bath scene when Emily Blunt's giving birth. Marco Beltrami. <laughs> and she's trying not oh, to okay. make any noise, which oh, I don't know. See, like yeah, this is why I don't watch horror too um, much. Yeah. I really want to see that, but I, I, I'm one of those people who wants it to be on streaming uh, so I don't have to pay. I feel <laughs> as though the – Because I'm already paying for streaming. Give it to me on it, streaming. It's probably best on big screen. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those films like I could go back Turn and watch Turn one of the now. chairs around. You can watch this. <laughs> uh, we've got a pretty big TV. It's some, Something's not quite the same as cinema, but yeah. No. I, I don't know. That one had a, a good effect on – um, and I remember having a bit of a debate with my dad about this film. Like we both left because I watch a lot of cinema with my dad, mm. and he's like, "Oh yeah, that wasn't as good as I thought." And then I was like, "Well, hang on a minute. There's absolutely no dialogue in this film. I mean, did you not get any?" Te-? And then he's like, "Oh, actually, yeah, it did kind mm-hmm. of keep me on edge a bit." Oh. So I think um, I kind of changed his mind a little bit. About but that sometimes film. you do need to think about a movie a little bit after you've seen it, mm. like to go, "Oh wow, that was really clever," yeah. and it's not necessarily something that your brain has. Well, because it depends on the time of day that you've watched it, how tired you are, and then as you process a film, I think that that's a that's a fascinating process of its own. Yeah, I I love the um process. I hated Snowpiercer when I first watched this film. I think we briefly spoke about this off air, which is a um the guy who did Parasite, and I've completely mm. forgotten his name. Bun, Bun John. Yeah, yeah, Bun Jun. Yeah. So I hated Snowpiercer when I first seen this film. It made no sense to me that you could be stuck on a train and then in one cab and it's completely glorious with all these rich people and then um, poor people down the end. And there's a lot of kind of plot holes in this film, but without kind of considering those, it looks at equality and inequality Mm. just as Parasite does. So I think there's a beauty behind that as well, what he's trying to say. Yeah. Um, Although I still don't understand how it works. Like how did the train – they were all on a train – and this cold storm hits and they get stuck on the train. How did they build like this extravagant area for all these rich people? That Maybe it was already there. I don't know. Anyway, but that's a film they I used to. paid a lot to, for their seats. Yeah, I used mm. to hate that film. I hated it. And now I've gone back and I've gone, actually, I get what he's saying. I like this film. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Sometimes like, you do need to give things a second watch. Yeah. Is there something that you guys have seen that you you hated, but then you've given it a thought or a second watch and you love it? There's probably plenty of things that I've done that to. I know for sure I did that to Ant-Man mm. uh, because I remember seeing it and it wasn't what I was expecting. It was really lighthearted. And on a second watch, I understand why it was made that way mm. because it is for a younger audience and it's brilliantly funny. Mm. And but that's the only one that comes to mind. I know there's multiple. It's just that that's the only one that pops in my head. Usually it's when, like, I'm not in the mood for the, the film the first time I see it or, like, just something's not right. And mm. then mm. the second time you see it, if you're in the right mindset for it, uh, then then you can enjoy it. The first one that comes to mind with me is the first time I saw Dogma. Mm. I didn't enjoy it. No it was way. Because it, it was in a cinema where the air conditioning didn't work. And so it was like sweltering in there. Mm. So it was really hard to just focus on the film. So things like that can take you out of your game. Interesting that you mentioned sense there, sense of uh, mm. feeling heat. And I think sense plays into compose and, and score and music. That's a sense, mm. you know, um, hearing. So I think that's really, um, mm. really cool. There is something about music that can really, really get to you. And I'm sure I've mentioned this on another podcast, but um, Music of the Night from Andrew Lloyd Webber, specifically sung by Michael um, Crawford. Crawford. Uh, Every time I listen to that song, I'm like, this time I'm not going to cry, not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. And there's a note he hits that I almost feel like is vibrating through my body Mm. because I have no control. The tears just happen and I'm like, I told that not to happen. I said, don't do it. And you did it anyway. <laughs> so I brilliant. think there's a note and, and it's happened. It happens many times with art. We've talked about it before. He's Andrew Lowe Webber is one of those guys that, uh, you know, no matter what play it is you're w- watching or what musical it is, you know, it's him because his sound is so samey in all the things he does. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, we, we saw Cats and it was like, okay, this is Andrew Lowe Webber. We saw, you know, um, uh, Fan of the Opera. Okay, this is Andrew Lowe Webber. Even when we saw The Wizard of Oz by Andrew Lowe Webber. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out that was also Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> <laughs> but we saw Michael Crawford live uh, playing oh. the wizard, so that was wow. pretty cool. Wow, yeah, that was, awesome. that was that was pretty I, um, magical. I've now seen Cats. The um, musical or the film? 
musical. Okay, that's all right. I can deal with that. So it was in a theatre. Good. <laughs> where I couldn't quite see everything. Uh, there was social distancing going on. Uh, they brought kittens in and then they brought birds in and then the birds started attacking me. And then I had to move Were seats. Were you dreaming? What is... Wait, yeah, it was yeah. a dream. Okay. Oh, I totally oh, had a dream. Oh, no, I was oh, like, I oh, they brought kittens in? Where was I? I know. I, so this is a dream I had recently and I wow. thought as soon as I woke up, I thought I have to tell Cecilia because <laughs> I'm like, I can't even see the freaking stage. Who who manages this theatre? Why would you put the music thing there? Why would Why you bring in there... kittens It's and just birds. a CD player. No, it's like an iPod on a speaker. No, I could see the players on the stage, but like people, as soon as people sat down in front of me or like I moved seats I'm like this seat is not good enough I have to move mm. I, I still couldn't see all of the stage <laughs> and I'm like who designed this theatre so that at no point regardless of where you sit you cannot see the entire stage and then I was like oh but they've got kittens here look at this <laughs> kittens <laughs> and then they had birds and I'm like wait a second this doesn't make sense and then they started attacking me and I was like well you know this is not right it's like a cross between Cats and, and the birds. The movie The Birds, yeah. yeah. Which pretty cool soundtrack too. I've not seen it. Pretty tense, very Alfred Hitchcock. You, you, well, you would hope so, being an Alfred Hitchcock film. <laughs> Is the Alfred Hitchcock that, uh, film's very Alfred Hitchcocky? Yeah, but you know, the the, the uh, Birds was actually written by a female author. Oh. Um Daphne de Maurier. Ooh. De Maurier. De Maurier. Um, also known for Rebecca, which is going to be remade oh, this year. This is why she knows, because um, she's obsessed with Rebecca. I love this film. Um, it's an old film. It's a novel, obviously, but there's a, a new one. I think Edgar Wright is uh, oh, really? got something oh. to do with this. Oh. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, hopefully, uh, probably not this year, but next year, I think. So when you went, Ed, my brain just went, uh, Ed Gein? Ed Gein? Oh, no, not Ed Gein. <laughs> not the serial killer. No. Um, you don't know who Ed Gein is? Mm-hmm. Oh, bless your little nipples. Like, she's so... So this is... <laughs> hey, we were talking about nipples earlier. No, no. So I'm just like, are you just like saying random words now? I feel like Ed Gein is the one serial killer I thought most people would have heard of. Because... He was the one that made the belt out of nipples, hey? He is. Okay, good. Oh, he also... Gosh. Not good. I mean, good that I... That, that was the right one. <laughs> oh, my God. Not good. So, ah! So the movie Psycho... There was a book that was written and he pulled some of the experience from Ed uh, Gein because Ed Gein had a really interesting relationship with his, his mother, mother. Mm. Um, and things went haywire when his mother died and he ha- he didn't uh. keep his mother, thankfully, but he kept digging up people that represented his mother and uh. then he made um it, it appeared yeah so oh. silence of the lambs is another one that pulls a lot of information mm. from ed gein's life because it's he did seem like he was building a suit that he could wear so he could be his mother so wow yeah so um ed gein strange yeah. guy thanks for sharing <laughs> I won't sleep tonight. That's fine. Oh yeah. So you don't. Yeah, I forget right. that you are. You don't no, quite enjoy podcasts like things not to Google. Again, <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like an interesting man. <laughs> and Black Dahlia is the other one that everyone knows about. Oh yeah, I've heard the Black Dahlia, mm. but yeah, no, not googling that one. <laughs> Scribbling off her imaginary pad. Who wrote Ed Gein on here? Fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Nipple belt. Who did that? Lampshade made out of hu- made out of human skin. Oh, apron no. made out of human skin. Really? Ah, I'm sorry. I Y'all are disgusting. That's why why you had the nipple belt just to be there as like a, a weather well, thing. His pants going, kept oh, falling it's been down. Cold. His pants kept falling down. <laughs> well, it makes sense as well because the nipples have the little. That's the little notchy things to, to put. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, oh, obviously I didn't. I missed it. It was a weather thing because it was like, oh, it's getting a bit cold. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, going, it, when it's cold, oh, it'd be easier to put the belt on as well because they're nice and erect and you can just like put the little thing look, on there. A bit the... hard to get through the belt loops on. Oh, oh that's true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I'm we sure, should um, stop sure. talking about yeah. nipple belts. I yeah. think we should wind the whole show up. Yeah. I, uh, listen, I think it's probably getting to that time. Listen to a soundtrack, bitches. <laughs> to do. Yeah. Not, not a soundtrack, no, 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 a score. Soundtrack, a score. Score. I think listen that's the difference score. is that the scores, like soundtracks might set a mood for a particular scene, but a score yeah. will really set the tone throughout the movie. And a soundtrack is more made up of different people, isn't it? Well, yeah. that's what I gather, whereas a score yes. is composed is easily Well, yeah, because it's a person. series of songs. Yeah. So you might not necessarily have the same artist but throughout the whole. But I think you whole... can have soundtrack 
and composers within scores. Well, the, yeah, the, kind it, of? the only film that like, comes to mind with that is uh, Batman 89 again because Prince did the soundtrack for that whole mm. movie. Mm. Uh, and interestingly, in Batman Returns, there's only one song in the whole film, uh, which is uh, by Susie and the Banshees. Mm. So in... In the 89 where Prince was doing it, mm-hmm. did he compose the score as no. well as doing the music? No, no Danny okay. Elfman did the score. He right. did the soundtrack. Uh, that's right. See, yeah. that's the difference. It's like that, mm. that the score is so different from the soundtrack. Yeah. Mm. But if you do mm. type in soundtrack, you often get – but but they are two completely different I know different that things. Marie Antoinette, though, for example, is, mm. there's a bunch of songs in there, but then there's also um, songs that are actual composed songs mm. as part of yeah. the score. And same as Romeo and Juliet, I think. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. That, a, a lot of that music was oops, done yeah. specifically for – there was, like, that one by Desiree. Oh, yeah. what was it called? Oh, I know exactly the one you're talking about, and it has it's with the scene with the fish, the aquarium. Yeah, I'm kissing you. Ooh. Or some shit. Yeah, yeah. something like that. <laughs> that, um, that one. <laughs> and I just want to mention before we finish up, one more that I must mention is the the music for The Lovely Bones, which is the really horrific film. This mm. is the first film I ever see my dad crying. Oh, God. It's and the my most, dad's very tough. Most full-on film ever. Um, so Brian Eno is, is the composer and uh, he's – Looks like he's done um, The Beach, Star- Starship Troopers. There you go, Moulin Rouge. Huh. And this is, um, oh, and the lyrics for the Goldbergs, which you've just recently watched. So, yeah, another really uh, um, interesting sort of oh, oh, diverse group of things that he's done. I'm just um, knocking over microphones, you know. <laughs> he actually started his career with Roxy Music. Oh, interesting. So look at that. So um, do some discoveries. And and we'll probably – I think it's time to finish there. It probably is. There's so much to discover. Go have a look at your favourite film. Work out who did – Yeah, work out who composed it. Yeah. It could change your bloody life. It could. (laughs) And then jump onto your music app and and enjoy some of their other offerings because, you know, they've obviously had stuff that they began in and, you know, as well as those soundtracks. So it's pretty cool. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. Bye.